Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the beer which the touched the beer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So good to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, feels a bit like being in an Anglican church and that the front two rows are fairly uh, <laughs> fairly deserted. Suzanne, thank you for being on the front two rows and making me feel less unpopular. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I preached on a passage from John's Gospel uh, that was in that sermon series, uh, which is actually my sort of go-to uh, for asking, when I'm asking myself, um, is, is this whole Jesus thing true? It's, uh, it's a passage on the resurrection. That's where I go in the middle of the night when I'm thinking, is, is this whole Jesus thing true? Uh, today I want to go to another of my go-to passages um, when I'm asking the question, when I'm asking myself, what, what is Jesus like? What is Jesus like? I was given free choice today because it's Revive Sunday, and so I get to pick the passage. And so we're in Luke 7, because I think we think, don't we, a lot about who Jesus is, that's right to do. We think a lot about uh, what Jesus did, that's right to do today. I really want us to focus on and enjoy what is Jesus like? What is Jesus like? And this passage is actually also a great place uh, to come to, I think, when our friends ask us, or when we ask ourselves, where is God in suffering? Why does a good God allow suffering? And just as we start, um, I just want to make a suggestion, which um, I remember somebody at a conference a few years ago that I was at making, which is, um, as I speak, and as hopefully the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, let me encourage you to pray. As we, as we go through the sermon, uh, don't only think about Jesus, actually talk to Jesus in your head as you feel led, as we uh, watch him in this passage. Let's pray as we start. Lord Jesus, this is your word. We thank you for it. Please, as we enjoy it this morning, Holy Spirit, be showing us the Lord Jesus in our hearts. Show us how much he loves us and therefore move us to love him in return. Please be speaking to us according to the needs that you know we have. Amen. It's a very sad opening, this, isn't it? Verse 12. Jesus is approaching the town of Nain. It's only about six miles from where he grew up in, in Nazareth. And uh, as he approaches the town gate, a dead person was being uh, led out. It's, it's a funeral. And what makes it even sadder is the kind of funeral it is. It's the funeral of a, a, a young man who was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So she's already buried her husband, 
and now she's burying her child and her child is her only child. I'm not sure it gets much sadder in life than this scene. Particularly as in that culture, her only son, given that she's a widow, would have been the one who provided for her, the one who cared for her. There's no state pension in those days. Also in that culture, he probably had only died that morning. Funerals tended to take place the same day as the death did. And so there lying on that plank of wood as they carry him along is all her joy, all her hope, all her protection, all her provision, all her security. And it's all lying there in that corpse, dead. That's the scene. I don't know what the lowest moment of your life is. I know some of us here have had some pretty low moments. Well, this is this woman's lowest moment, saddest day of her life. And that's what Jesus comes across. And verse 13, and I love this verse, it's one of my favourite verses in scripture. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. The Gospels don't often tell us how Jesus feels about something. And so when they do tell us, we really need to sit up and take notice. And the word that lies behind his heart went out to her is a word that the uh, ESV version of the Bible just translates as he had compassion. The Greek, I'm going to give you a Greek word just for your notes if you want to be impressive. Uh, the Greek is splagchismai. That's a hard word to say. But it's an important word because literally it means that his bowels churned. It's a very, I mean, it literally means he was gutted. It's a very deep down, visceral kind of emotion. I think actually the NIV is a bit soft when it says his heart went out to her. That's a bit sort of gentle. His stomach felt like it had dropped away. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been gut punched, but that's how Jesus felt. I remember um, years ago hearing that um, one of my best friend's uh, baby boys, uh, he was seven months old, had, had died in the night. And uh, somebody else in us both. I, I can remember exactly where I was sitting. Uh, and, and, and this mutual friend came in and said, I, I need to tell you something. So-and-so has, had died last night. And I remember the feeling. It was, it was a gut punch. You feel it. I imagine... You're thinking right now of a time when you felt that gut punch because of the news of somebody else is suffering or even death. That's how Jesus feels here. When the Lord saw her, he was gut punched. See, yes, she's a sinner. We're all sinners. But Jesus doesn't first and foremost see her like that at this moment. He sees her as a sufferer. Because that's how Jesus feels about people in their pain, in their struggles. Yes, he's the Lord. Yes, he's the one who created every star and every one of us. Yes, he's the one who sustains every atom. But he doesn't just stay up on high, does he? He comes down. He, doesn't, he didn't just sort of float around 
Judah, Judea. He, he, he is emotionally invested in the people that he meets. He's emotionally connected to the people he meets. He cares. And he cares about us. And he enters into our moments of grief and pain and regret and brokenness. You know, this is what God is like. It's not just sort of a connection, like a, like a little aspect of his character or something he's learned to do over the years. This is intrinsic. This is the heart of his heart. In, in Exodus 34, when Moses says to God, please show me your glory, and God says, well, the best way to show you my glory is to tell you what I'm like, what's the first word that he uses to describe himself? The Lord, the Lord, compassionate compassionate so when jesus turns up it shouldn't really be a surprise to us that his natural response to the brokenness of this world whether it's self-inflicted or if in this uh, grieving widow's case it's because of circumstances around her his natural response is compassion is to be gut punched that's how deeply he cares for this woman that's how deeply he cares for you jesus cares about what grieves you what troubles you what worries you? What makes you cry? He's not aloof. So I wonder as you sit here this morning, what, what, what is it for you? Which area of your life do you need to know that Jesus sees it and Jesus has compassion for you in it? He feels it just as you do. And then verse 13, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. That's a very odd thing to say, isn't it? A very odd thing to say to a grieving widow. And actually, it, it's, we, we mustn't misunderstand this. It's not that Jesus is saying that we shouldn't cry about things. It's not wrong to cry. It's not weak to cry. Jesus himself at another tomb, we'll come on to that later, he wept at his friend Lazarus's tomb. It's a good thing to cry about things that are worth crying about. And there are plenty of those in our lives, aren't there? People sometimes uh, cry in church when I'm around. And they always say, I'm so sorry. And I always say, don't be sorry. We, we need more crying in church, not less. We, we need more openness and honesty. We need to be able to cry in front of each other without being British and apologising about it. It's good to cry. And yet Jesus here says... To a grieving widow. Can you imagine saying this at a funeral on the sort of the way out as you line up and say goodbye? Saying to the widow who's burying her son, don't cry. It's a very odd thing to say. Compassion makes us weep with people. And Jesus should weep with her, but he doesn't. He tells her not to weep. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus' compassion, which is deeper than ours, is allied to a power that is far greater than ours. And that means he's not just feeling with this widow and for this widow, though he is. He can also help the widow. Verse 14. Just picture this scene. Jesus went up and touched the bier by it, that they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. You're in the middle of a funeral service. The coffin's at the front. And someone stands up, walks up to the front, 
touches the coffin and says, get up. Rico Tyus, the evangelist, says, you've got to be pretty sure of yourself at this point if you're Jesus, haven't you? You've got to have quite a lot of confidence that, that what you're doing is going to work. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the people around saying, what on earth are you doing? It's bad enough that this w- woman is having to bury her son and now you're interrupting the funeral to, to, to tell this corpse to get up. What, what are you doing? Verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus goes and touches the beer, touches the dead man. He moves towards the place of the dead and he touches it, which means ritually now he's just become unclean. In those days, under Old Testament law, you go and touch a dead body, the uncleanness of the dead body passes to you because God is a God of life, not of death. Death can't be near him. Now you can't be near him. You've become unclean. That's what Jesus is doing here. And then he speaks just a few words. Young man, I say to you, get up. And it happens. And it happens. And the young man does get up. His words are more powerful than death. When he speaks, death reverses. And so this woman, and the focus, interestingly, is on the woman, isn't it? Not on the dead guy, though I'm sure he was pretty pleased too. But the, the, the woman, the mum, gets her life back. Because the death of her son had taken everything from her, and now Jesus has restored everything to her. How would you respond? What would you do if you were there? What would you say? What would you tell people when you got home? How was the funeral? Uh, Not quite as expected, actually. Verse 16. It's the right way to respond, isn't it? They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said, and God has come to help his people. It's like they're trying to find a category big enough for this man that can interrupt a funeral to raise a dead man. And what category do they get to? Well, they get to great prophets, the greatest of the prophets. Now, if you're a Christian here, you know they haven't yet found the category that's big enough. In the next chapter, Jesus is going to calm a storm and they're going to start realising this isn't just a great prophet, this is, this is the creator. But here they're beginning to get it. Both Elijah and Elisha, great prophets in the Old Testament, had been able, with a lot more effort than this, uh, to, if you like, channel God's power to raise a dead boy. And so that seems to be the category that they put this into, but he's a greater prophet than them, because he just spoke, didn't have to do anything else. They were filled with awe and praise. I wonder if we are filled with the same awe and praise that the Lord Jesus, who has this kind of compassion, and allies it to this kind of power. Do you notice as we go through the story, who is it who, who is doing the active things? Who are almost all the active verbs about? They're all about Jesus. He's the one, the only one really, who's doing anything in this passage. Verse 12, he approaches. Verse 13, he sees. 
He feels the compassion. In verse 13, out of that compassion, he speaks. Verse 14, he walks up and he touches. Verse 15, he's the one that gives the son back to the mother. He moves towards pain. He moves towards death. He reverses death. What does anybody else in the scene do? Well, the only two things anybody does is that the mum is clearly crying because Jesus says don't. And the people carrying the coffin stand still. That's, that's all that anybody does. Cry and stand still. Jesus does everything else. No one's asking Jesus to do anything. Now, in other gospel stories, of course, they do. They say, please heal me, please help me, please save me, please forgive me. But here, no one's doing anything. So why is Jesus doing it? It's not because anyone's asked him. It's not because of a request from outside of him. It's because of the compassion inside of him. It's because the heart of Jesus' heart is compassion. And it's compassion who moves him so that he doesn't walk by, so that he walks into the midst of this funeral, and so that he reverses death and gives the woman back her life. I wonder where we are then in this scene. Well, in a sense, left to ourselves, left by ourselves, we're both the guy on the, in the coffin and we're the widow. Because left to ourselves, without Jesus, we're hopeless, like that widow. Because we're lifeless, like that son. Spiritually speaking, death is a reality, physically and spiritually. We know that. We know that all too well. And we hate that because we sense that even though one in every one dies, it shouldn't be like that. We know all too well what death robs from the living who loved the dead person. You know, my, my friend is never going to be the same because of what happened to his boy. He has many joys in his life, but There'll always be that grief, always be that lack, always be that loss. It's like that for all of us, isn't it? We're like the widow of Nain and left to ourselves, there is no hope. Death is inevitable. You're going to go to funerals and then one day you're going to be the centrepiece at a funeral. And that's it. Except Jesus. Because this story is, if you like, a a thumbnail, like a little thumbnail picture on your phone of a a bigger thing, a greater reality. I don't know if you have like a scene on your phone of somewhere you were on holiday or, you know, your wedding day or however you're inclined, a football match, whatever it might be. That's that's a a little image of a much greater reality. And this story is a little image of what Jesus came to do for all of his people. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, puts it like this. This young man whom Christ raised from the dead is an emblem of the spiritual life which he restores to us. Because what does Jesus do here? He comes, he sees, he speaks, he goes to the place of the dead, he restores life. He gives everything back to somebody who was without hope. What is it that Jesus did for us? He came as a man. He saw your brokenness. 
your sin that you can never pay off or make up for or get rid of. He saw that. He cared. And he went to the place of the dead. Didn't just touch it. Became unclean for us. And rose again to give us life. He is the one who can say to you, young or possibly older, man or woman, I say to you, get up. If you're trusting Jesus one day, you'll hear him say that. I say to you, get up. And life will have returned. A life better than anything that you've experienced yet or can even imagine. That's where we are in this story. And it was compassion that brought Jesus to this widow. Compassion that brings him to us. It's compassion that lies behind all of the grace that God gives us. If grace are the gifts that Jesus gives us, most of all salvation, it's compassion that causes him to give, us, give those to us. And therefore, as a church called Grace Church, compassion should be at the heart of everything that we are and do. If you're here this morning and you're looking into these things, you're not sure where you stand, have you realised what it is that Jesus offers you? He offers you his compassion. He offers you his power. He offers you life instead of death. What do you need to do? just need to cry you just need to accept you can't do it on your own and you just need to stand still stop trying to do it on your own and let him in if you're a christian here this morning have you realized how jesus feels about you he's full of compassion for you he feels and he cares That's his basic posture towards you. And he doesn't just feel and care for you. He's with you to do something in the struggles, to do something about the struggles. Now, how do we experience him in this way? Well, two things, I think. Firstly, you experience his compassion at your lowest moments. Have you ever thought, Jesus could have turned up that morning or the day before he knows everything he could have he could have turned up before the boy died and he could have healed him but he didn't it's the same in john chapter 11 with the famous story of the raising of lazarus jesus deliberately stays away for two days he says yes he's very sick yes he's going to die and i'm not going to go And when he does get there, one of Lazarus' sisters said, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. In what I think is probably a slightly accusatory and very true way. Jesus could have turned up that morning, but he didn't. And if he had, this woman would never have got to experience the compassion and the power of Jesus in the deep, life-changing way that she did. She'd never have had the same story to tell the next day. It is often in our griefs that we experience the presence and the kindness of Jesus. Sometimes things have to get to their worst for us to experience the compassion and the power of Jesus. 
Jesus shows up in the valley when things are at their darkest. So Jesus not doing things according to our timetable is not a sign that he doesn't care. It's not a sign that he isn't there. It's a sign that he doesn't work according to our timings and when we think he ought to fix things or do things. John Piper, the American preacher, says something like, Jesus is always doing a thousand things in your life and you can see maybe three of them. And that's true. And one day in heaven we'll have like years, like millennia, to enjoy all the, looking back on all the things that Jesus was doing for us, sometimes by not doing anything and very often by doing something that we haven't noticed and sometimes by doing something that in this life we do see and we do notice. There's an old saying, when I cannot trace his hand, I will trust his heart. That's the Christian life. I, can't, I don't know why he didn't turn up this morning before things got so bad. I don't know why he didn't prevent them getting bad. I don't know. I don't know why this illness is continuing. I don't know why I've been struggling with this depression for years. I don't know why the Lord took that loved one from me. I don't know why the Lord hasn't given this thing to me that just seems the obvious good thing to have. I don't know why my marriage is struggling. I don't know why I feel like this and he hasn't done anything about it yet. I cannot trace his hand in this. But I will trust his heart because I know that there was a day just outside Nain where the Lord's heart was revealed and it was a heart of compassion. It was a heart of being gut-punched. It was a heart of turning everything around and giving life back. When I cannot trace his hand, I will trust his heart. What does that look like? I think it looks like crying and standing still. See, we tend, I tend, when something's wrong, either to try and fix it myself, and I'm deliberately not looking at my wife at this point, (laughs) either to try and fix it myself, I think that's a man thing, isn't it? Or to get busy doing other things so that I don't have to think about the thing that's hurting me. Or to try to pretend that I'm strong and I can manage much better to cry we're allowed to cry and then to stand still as it were and say lord jesus i need you i know you're compassionate i know you love me like that and i need you because i can't do this i'm going to trust that in your timing you're going to bring your power to bear and it might only be on my last day that that power is brought to bear and you say i say to you get up and i get up and i'm with you But I'd love you to do it sooner than that. Please, Lord Jesus, in your compassion, turn this situation around. Help me put this piece of my life back together. Show me what it looks like to act wisely and lovingly in this situation. Cry and stand still. Look for him. Because he'll be there. Secondly, I think we experience this when we're with others in their lowest or most difficult of moments. Look back at verse 11 up at the top. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. 
must have been such an adventure for the disciples, mustn't it? I think we kind of forget this. You know, Jesus calls them, and yes, he calls them to pick up a cross, and yes, he calls them to leave everything behind, and yes, it's difficult, just as it is for us. But the adventure that they got to go on, I mean, James and John, they could have been like fishing. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I understand that for some people, fishing is like unbelievably exciting. For me, it's just fishing. Like, but however exciting it is, they could have just been fishing for the rest of their lives, instead of which they got to follow Jesus. And because they were following Jesus, they got to see Jesus in action, like here. Amazing. They get to see what Jesus is like and what Jesus does. And, and it's the same for us, actually. The Christian life is a harder life than if we weren't living it. But when we go with Jesus to where he's at work, in the hard places and in the hard moments, getting involved with each other's lives as they grieve, as they struggle, as they face brokenness, that's where we get to see his character. That's where we get to see his compassion. That's where we get to see his power at work in other people. Uh, some of you will know that uh, Bill, it's great to have Bill back with us this morning. Um, don't have any more arguments with cars on your bike, Bill. But um, some of, many of you will know that, that Bill, Mary's wife, uh, is, uh, is recovering from a serious cancer operation. I had the privilege just before she went into hospital for the operation of going around and praying with, with her and Bill uh, and, and a few others. And uh, Mary said something that I shall never forget. She said, I have discovered over the last few weeks since I got my diagnosis that the peace of God that passes all understanding is a real thing. It's a real thing. Now she experienced that because she was at a low moment. I got to experience that because they kindly invited me along to pray with them. It's in when we're with others in their lowest moments that we get to see Jesus at work in ways that we otherwise wouldn't have. So we're called to be compassionate like Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus in every way, aren't we? Hurt and pain and struggle and death should gut punch us. Not just when it's ours, but when it's ours. We're to weep with those who weep just as we laugh with those who laugh. We need to weep with people. And that means being there for people. And that means giving time to people. And as we give them time, and as we sit with them in a way that is wise and appropriate, we need, whether they've met him before or not, we need to point people to Jesus because it's his compassion that leads to his power that people most need. I can't raise someone from the dead, but I know a man who can. I can't sort out the struggles of people I love and the brokenness and the regrets, and that, but I know someone who can, and his name is Jesus. And we have the great privilege of entering into other people's suffering and bringing the Lord Jesus to them there, praying with them, pointing them towards Jesus. Because everything we do should be marked by compassion, shouldn't it? We're, we're Christ followers. We're called Grace Church. And if compassion is at the heart of God, and it is, then compassion should be at the heart of everything we do, should be at the heart of our leadership. 
should be at the heart of our interaction, should be at the heart of our prayers, should be the reason why we set the alarm 10 minutes earlier tomorrow morning to get up and pray for someone who we know needs the power of Jesus in their life should be why we junk a nice evening off or even a date night or something in order to go and be with the person who is struggling. should be the reason why we're open enough ourselves to say after church on Sunday, not the traditional British answer of, I'm fine, but I'm not fine. And this is how I'm not fine. Please can you pray for me? Please can you point me to Jesus? I'm, I'm not fine. None of us are fine. That's what compassion, I think, looks like. But first and foremost, I think we should be enjoying that this is who Jesus is for us. Yes, we're called to be compassionate. But most of all, we, we are called and invited to enjoy Jesus' compassion for us. Jesus is more full of compassion for you than you have ever realised He feels our pain and our grief more than I guess we've appreciated. He is not asking you to put on a front. He is not asking you to pretend you're okay. He is not asking you to sort yourself out before you come before him or come to church. He's not asking you to get yourself through. He's not frowning at you, waiting to see how you do. Jesus is smiling over you. He's loving you just as you are. He's for you. Jesus sees the broken bits of your life. You know what they are. I don't, but you do. Jesus knows those and he sees those and he feels those. And he wants to help. You can know that your tears matter to him even if he's the only one who knows about them apart from you and if he can raise someone from the dead to prevent a mother's grief then he can do whatever it takes to bring life and hope and joy to a broken part of your life he may not remove it He may not fix it, but he can and will bring life and hope and joy to that part of your life. What do you need to do? You need to cry and stand still. Let's point ourselves towards this glimpse of the amazing love and kindness of the Lord Jesus. Let's point each other to it. Let's point friends who aren't Christians to it. Often we want to give a sermon when people say, why does God allow suffering? I think maybe we should give them a story. I I, I don't know all the answers we can say. I really don't. But I'd love to tell you about what happened when my God showed up and saw a grieving widow. Can I tell you about that? Can I tell you how he felt? Can I tell you what he did? I'd love to tell you that story. Jesus sees it. Jesus feels it. Jesus gets it. And then he says, don't cry. And then he says, get up. What is your Jesus like? What is your God like? He's full of compassion. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are God. All-powerful, almighty, all-surpassing, self-sufficient. You don't need us. And yet, your heart is one of compassion for us. We thank you that you love us like this. We thank you that all your power is at work within us. We thank you that one day we'll hear you say to us, get up and we'll be in glory with you where there's no need to cry anymore. We thank you that one day you're going to wipe our tears and that'll be the last time we ever shed them. In the meantime, Lord Jesus, you know, you see and you feel the broken, the difficult, the struggling parts of our lives. Thank you. Thank you that you care. Enable us to know what it is to meet you there, to cry, to stand still, not to try and do it ourselves, but to ask you to do what you will. Help us when we cannot trace your hand to trust your heart. Remind us of your compassion, which took you into the heart of that funeral and took you into the heart of the grave, took you through hell for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your compassion. Would we walk out of here today knowing more how loved we are and therefore more ready to love you in return and love others as you love them. Make us a compassionate people, a compassionate church that mirrors you to a broken world. It's for your sake we ask these things. Amen.